but I want you to take a, a, a view from, from the top of the mountain, and I will show you the, the promised land. So you could be relatively assured that Moses gave instruction to someone, perhaps Joshua, perhaps uh, one of the main scribes, what to write about his passing on and how to say it. And, and although that was put down by uh, another person's hand uh, as far as the penmanship, uh, it was still, I'm sure, words from God given to Moses and then passed on as to what to do. It is so important to understand the relevance of these five books. And, and you people that, uh, you know, are into, might be into that kind of a ministry where all you need is a little small book of St. John, God have mercy on you, you know, because you are actually uh, coming against the word of God when you minimize your revelation like that. The Bible says that if you add to or take from that, that uh, you, 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 will, you will face judgment because of it. So you cannot say, well, all I need is uh, Jesus Christ and him crucified um, and, and put it in the terms that that is just the action that happened because that is not what uh, Jesus Christ and him crucified means at all. It is a deep, potent revelation. And, and it encompasses uh, the, the universe. For God so loved the universe that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And, and, and then all of the relevancy, you know, of, of the revelations, uh, of the resurrections, and, and of the Holy uh, Spirit and Holy Ghost uh, were all a part of, of that, that statement. So you, you must not pick out any part of the Bible and say, you know, I don't, I don't read the Old Testament. I just read the New Testament uh, because that just means that you, you are weak. It means that you, you cannot understand the wars of the Old Testament. You cannot understand how that some of these men who were warriors and, and, and who were, you know, uh, some of them very paganistic uh, uh, were killing people the way they were killing people. But, you know, the Bible says you render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God. You just render it unto God and allow God to, to, to uh, show you in his own time when he knows that your mind is in the right setting. Uh, uh, but don't take anything away from God. Don't, for sure don't take away the books of Moses. For sure don't take away the books of the prophets. Uh, you know, because you will be at loss. You cannot get by with just the New Testament alone, even if you think that you can, because it is one a conclusive, uh, momentous revelation from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. And then within that, there is a provision for continuous revelation. So it must be adhered to, it must be acknowledged, and you must uh, improve your, your uh, skeletal uh, ability of the body and your spiritual ability of the mind. 
to be able to dive into these deep things that are called the deep word of God. Uh, the 30-fold begins, the 60-fold follows, but then comes the 100-fold. And from the 100-fold, you are at the top of the rock of the mountain, and from there, you are launched into eternal space. So it's a beautiful thing, and it's a glorious thing, and I am always excited about it. So then, it's amazing that when we get into the, like Genesis, we get into the subject of the firstborn. And the firstborn is a major, major subject. Uh, now, that does not mean that there may not be some times that persons may have used the word firstborn, and they're just talking about a son or a daughter that was their first child. Sure, that can be the case. But in most cases, it's tied into a special patriotic blessing. It has a special relevance. And, and we're, we're, going to, we're going to get into that because the meaning of it is absolutely sensational. So it goes on. And the Lord called Moses and said, come up to the mount, come up to the top of the mount. And that reminds me when God spoke to John, uh, St. John, and, and in the book of Revelations, he says, come up hither and I will show you I will show you the bride. I will show you the lamb's wife. If you want to know about the bride, if you want to know about the lamb, you have to go to the top of the mountain because you are talking about an entity that is just not another human being. You are talking about an entity who took on the image of a human, but by the spirit who is ancient and who is destined and, 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 and who is, is God. So it's very important. Okay. And Moses, uh, Moses called to, uh, and God, the Lord called to Moses and said, come up to the top of the mountain. Then Moses went up to the top of the mountain where the Lord was standing. <clears throat> you, have to you have to get it down. These words are so important, where the Lord was standing. This means that there were feet. <coughs> this means there were legs. This means there was a body being supported by those feet and those legs. And this means that in addition to the body, there was a head, and on that head was a face. And so we have here... Uh, a literal, physical manifestation uh, of the L-O-R-D in caps, the Lord, because he had taken a physical body and, and uh, he was revealing himself physically. Now, it is very important that when angels come and visit us, that they appear in physical bodies and they talk our language. If we speak Chinese, they'll speak, they'll speak Chinese to us. If we speak French, they'll speak French to us. If we speak English, they'll speak English to us. And they will dress uh, uh, very much in the custom of the style of the clothing uh, for the type of person and custom that you live in. Uh, and that is all for the, the, the importance of communication. And it might be a lesson that you would re remember 
that uh, sometimes uh, people uh, go all out of bounds to try to be different. And in becoming so different, they lose their capability to, and capacity to be able to communicate uh, with other people and sometimes even their own families. So here is what we have to note and what we have to keep in place. The Lord was standing. That's where he was taken to see and meet and communicate with the Lord. Exodus 19.20 KJV. Certainly to go to the top of a mountain is a climb of acclivity. To reach the top of most any mountain, it takes strength, determination, and dedication of purpose. There is a view from a mountaintop that is usually superior. Often the glory of what is not at first comprehended exists as mysterious luminaries. When you reach a point of being at a high altitude and up on a mountaintop like this, what can happen is that you are exposed to heights, to widths, to dimensions that are different than the more narrow confines of your vision that spans across the horizon, uh, especially in dimensions that are of breadth and, and width, and, uh, but not as much of height. Certainly there's some sky and there's the clouds, but when you really get up into the height, uh, it's an, a more apparent viewing of a cognizance that encompasses the universe. You're not so planetary, even though you are still on the planetary, but you are sort of at a moment of suspension of thought. And, and so there is that beauty for sure at that point of a clevity. So, yes, the view from the mountaintop is usually superior. And often the glory of what is not at first comprehended exists as mysterious luminaries. These luminaries were no doubt Zith, Z-Z-I-T-H, or in Canadian, uh, Z-Z-I-T-H, spaceships, one of which lowered the Lord to the mountain for his meeting place with Moses. The scene of something the human mind is not acquainted with and has no vocabulary to describe can be daunting. They say that when the first ships began to sail over toward the Americas and the natives of that area had never seen ships before and they had no idea what a ship was and what the relevance of that ship was. No idea that there would be men and horses and an army perhaps and, and uh, artillery fi uh, capabilities and uh, food, clothing, uh, so forth. Uh, so when they would look out there and see the ships, it was more of something like a mirage to them. And they felt that that was something just sort of foaming in the waves. And, and they never thought of it as being vessels because their mind could not comprehend it. They were seeing something beyond comprehensible cognizance uh, to, to their recognizing and relating the images uh, as something familiar. 
And so they just they just couldn't put it together. It wasn't a warning to them that there was perhaps an invasion about to take place. Well, the same idea fits into the category of the unusual, the mysterious, the amazing, about what people have called flying saucers and UFOs and what we describe as ziths. Uh, because an awful lot of people out there have not seen such type of vehicles. Uh, although there are from all of the movies and the advertisement of, of media uh, conveyances of imagination that people have picked up to the point that some of these people have such vivid imaginations, uh, they make all kinds of claims of of what they've seen and experiences they've had. Uh, I do not say that there are not people that have not had experiences, but I would say that the majority of the claimed experiences are not real. But we do have something that is very clear that there are these spaceships and that the angels use them to, to go from place to place. Now, a lot of people have the idea that when angels move from place to place, they sort of do it like in the comics of Superman. Just sort of, you know, it, it's, what is that coming? Is it a, is it a bullet or, or, or what's, what's flying through the air? And they have that idea, but that, that actually is not the way it is because what the angels do when they come into uh, human settlements or human android type of settlements, uh, they take on uh, bodies that um, uh, fit into adaptations of the environment. And by fitting into adaptations of the environment and, and having those bodies that they are wearing uh, and girded in, uh, and I'm thinking that in a, a very special sense of, of latolution and the lattice, uh, they then uh, become required to use um, accessories and also to use um, things uh, such as space vehicles. And they have to uh, have that in order to uh, protect the bodies that they have produced for their uh, work uh, in the environment in the environment of a particular space that might be around a planet or a, a outer space that might be somewhere uh, among the assortments of space and time uh, in the heavens of the universe. And that's why they have to have these ziths. It does not mean that a spirit cannot move at a fast pace. A spirit can move at a quickening. And, and, a, and a quickening is, is a timeless event. So when they had discovered uh, that, that if a person, uh, as presented by uh, Albert Einstein, moves through a space at close to the speed of light, that they do not age as fast as people that are just you know, moving at regular pace, re regular human gait and regular uh, work pace. And so that uh, if that person was gone for a number of years and came back, the people on Earth would be aged much, much more than that person that was out there traveling at near the speed of light. 
And there, there of course, is relativity to that and truth to that. Uh, and especially when you get into the ultimate quickenings, when you're when you are in this particular kind of of spin that you get into that is the quickenings, then you know that is what allows you to be eternal, and you do not age at all, and you are into timelessness. So those things are quite awesome, and they're quite beautiful. Not the subject for today, but good foundation stuff to keep ever so often repeating so people can know what is going on. Okay, so now it's amazing uh, all these things uh, that Moses began to experience. These luminaries, uh, no doubt, uh, uh, Zith spaceships, one lord the the, uh, the Lord to the mountain for his meeting with Moses. And of course, David trying to explain the uh, Moses experience uh, gives us the awesome story uh, in the book of Psalms. And, and um, we, uh, we get, we, when we get into to, to Psalms and we begin to read uh, the story of these 20,000 angels that that uh, came down with 20,000 chariots of the gods. Uh, it is just uh, then amazing. And and um, we've preached on that quite a little bit, but we'll be talking a whole lot more. Um, and so it goes on, the human mind is not acquainted with, it has no vo vocabulary to describe the daunting experiences such as Moses was experiencing. And let me skip a little bit. Um, this was a new kind of time, not related to dials of time, but related to the power of a new order of the mind's way of thinking. The Lord uh, God, or the God Lord, was about to teach Moses many inward principles about spiritual life. A spiritual contemplation was developing in Moses, quite opposite to his raising. The truth of God's existence was not sometime uh, no longer a philosophical uh, metaphysical speculation to Moses. But this mountaintop experience was even more toward the awesome heavenly level of reveal. God's firstborn blessing revelation was upon Moses to know and to administer. Check that out in Exodus 13, 1 through 2. <coughs> Although Moses did not know if it was at first uh, did not know it at first. This was about the New Testament revelation about the church of the firstborn in heaven. Of course, that had not even been written at that time. To understand this would be uh, first uh, would would first need to, to um, uh, understand such major knowledge as to who the mortals were, why they were on earth, what was the plan of salvation. The awesome knowledge could not be contained only in a partial review reveal of that subject by Abraham and Job. Moses was shown a deeper side with a uh, great far-reaching uh, capability. The power of the blessing and the curses, curses was a factor for overcoming, and Moses taught um, uh, his people about it as the Israelites passed the mountain of blessings and the mountain of curses. So then, the message of the leaven and the unleavened bread was a deep teaching about the spirit effect within the human body and was 
tied into the awesome revelation of the Passover. Also, the use of the offering lamb was a symbol of the lambs uh, of the lamb and life's mirror into salvation, offering of redemption by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the one who would rise in ministry like unto himself. Okay, so um, there's more here to this printout that we did, and I may or may not get back to it because I've got so much to cover. People often just don't think that uh, Moses could have had the names of all the people as he did, the gene uh, genealogies as he did, um, the uh, names of the ancient towns and cities that he did, and the ancient histories that he did, and they felt that, well, this had to all come together when the uh, the, the top scribes and, and men of God were captive uh, in Babylon and were allowed a place that, of worship called Shiloh and, uh, and that this must be where a lot of these things were written. I, I do not doubt the proposition that perhaps at that time uh, there were some uh, revelations revealed in ways of interpretation uh, that they may, as they transcribed uh, and translated uh, the books of, of uh, Moses, uh, been able to, to have some uh, addendums there that were uh, of a better clarity uh, and were, were of uh, the spirit of the Holy Ghost uh, to do so. Um, but that does not take away from the fact that the original revelation of the five books came th through Moses. Now, Moses was um, raised in the house of the Pharaoh, and uh, he had access to, uh, to Egyptian um, libraries and to Egyptian knowledge. And, uh, and that knowledge, I'm sure, was something that he searched out as he began to get involved with the, uh, uh, the Israelite people as part of something that was his task or, or something that he felt the unction to do. And then he began to want to know about those people, uh, their history, a history just absolutely phenomenal uh, uh, of record because the, the Egyptians had that capability, uh, was available to him. And I can assure you that... Uh, that he copied or he took those records for himself when he uh, when he was getting ready to uh, absent himself from Egypt, and uh, and so he had a lot of information that he could use uh, in his dialogues, uh, uh, both written and and conversal, conversing about. So do not discredit that man. Uh, he had tremendous knowledge, and then add to that all of the, uh, the uh, thousands and millions of people that were involved in the, the persons of, um, of, of the Israelite people that had knowledge and, and history, because that was a thing that people did then. They had oral histories, that many of those things were, were uh, collected and written down, and Moses had all that, that awesome knowledge of. So it isn't long in the book of Genesis before the idea of the firstborn blessing comes up. And, and you know, and a person might wonder and say, well, you know, firstborn blessing, exactly, exactly what is that about? Um, there's an interesting scripture in Hebrew 12, 4, 
And it says, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now, when people read that, uh, there are, are persons in the early Christian orders that thought that that meant that uh, they should m allow themselves to be martyred. And some of these people went out and, and uh, gave themselves to forces that were evil and that were wanting to kill the Christians and wanted to be martyred uh, as something that they thought was the, a great thing to do. It was not a great thing to do, and it wasn't the perfect plan of God. And some of you may not agree with that, and that doesn't chill me at all because I'm used to uh, people who think that they know the facts uh, uh, being ignorant of the truth. Uh, but the fact of it is, this was a very deep and, and awesome revelation. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. It was a message about the firstborn uh, uh, spirit, soul blood. Uh, and it was a message that, that, that if you didn't know this thing about the firstborn blessing, then you would totally miss it and think it was just about someone being martyred, but it was not. It, it was not about killing yourself it was not about killing someone else or putting yourself in harm's way so you could be killed. It was about the Adamic bloodline calling. And it was, the, it was about the scarlet thread ministry uh, uh, of the generations of Adam uh, uh, toward the birth of Jesus the Christ. Now, let's just look in the Bible here at Hebrews. And let's, uh, let's just see if we can really get a grasp of the significance of this thing about uh, the, the blessings of the firstborn. Because uh, when you begin to, to see these things, it is astounding. And let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, because here is an awesome revelation. And, uh, and I just quoted you a scripture from there, but now let's look at 12 verse 17 for you know how that afterwards when he would have inherited the blessing he was rejected this is talking about Esau and uh, and so what the what the deal is is that um, um, he what it is saying here is that Esau had the firstborn blessing but whether um, he was able to keep it or not had to do with the profanity of how profound, rather, that, that he would be in uh, uh, establishing it and appreciating it and, and, under, you know, and, and using it in an, an applicable way. Uh, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For you are not come into the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor into the blackness and the darkness and the tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the words which voice they heard entreated that the, the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with the dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly feared and quaked. Now, we if we cannot rightly divide the word of God and, and understand how that the Bible talks about the power of, of, of the Holy Spirit 
to divide even even the soul and the and, and the spirit uh, and the body, uh, then we are not able to get across the divide. So so what we have to understand here, there there was a a revelation or revelations that happened back there at Mount Sinai that were physical manifestations. And they were physical in the sense that that was a language that the people needed to have in order to understand uh, the awesomeness and, and to have a, a, a great reverence, uh, you know, for, for God. And, and, and to not to entreat God as though he were just a common man. And, and so, you know, uh, the beginning of uh, the knowledge for many of those people had to come through fear because that was the only thing that they really uh, appreciated and respected. And so many of these things it's talking about were physical things that had to do with the Mount Sinai experience. They were physical things. But that was only a part of what was happening on Mount Sinai. So Paul very cleverly and very deeply says that what I'm about to tell you is not about the physical aspects, the fear and the quaking and, and the mountain that you didn't dare to touch, which is all physical stuff. He says, I want to tell you something that has to do with something spiritual. So I'm, I'm dealing in the spirit, which was also part of the Mount Sinai experience and the most beautiful part and the most glorious part. So it's, he says, you're not a part of all of that, of what I'm talking about here. That is not where God is leading you in, in my revelation here uh, in this letter. He's leading you into this spiritual thing. Verse 22, you're come to the Mount Zion and into the city of the living God. Now understand here how that uh, this, uh, this uh, Mount Zion was called a city and how that it was called the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn which are written in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect so now we see that this second part and this deep perspective was about the spirits of just men who had been over to, able to overcome and it was about a revelation which was called a church and we'll see as we get up the road here on our teaching some of the really beautiful things that the word church actually can mean. And it was the general assembly of, and church of the firstborn. So we see that this, this uh, idea and ideology isn't just windswept across the physical plane. That it has a higher essence that the caliber of its ultimate imbuement really is on the spiritual level far, far, far above the plane of the physical level and even the physical mountain experiences. And so this is where God is really wanting to bring people and really wanting to teach people 
and to get them into a way of seeing and thinking that they have never even imagined before. You are come into the Mount Zion, to the city. Now, we're going to see how important that this revelation right here is about a, a, a mountain that could be called a city. That is very unusual. About a mountain that could symbolically represent heavenly Jerusalem. Like when God spoke to, to, to in the book of Revelation to John, and he says, come up here. I want to show you something. Come on up to the top of the mountain here. I want to show you the bride. I want to show you the body of Christ. I want to show you this revelation. I want to show you the, the new Jerusalem. The general assembly, the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. The Lamb's book of life. The roll call. So when we start talking about these beginning revelations, these 30-fold and even some less-fold in the book of Genesis, and then as it progresses its way through the five books of Exodus uh, uh, escape, how important and relevant it is that those firstborn meanings had a deep insight to the spirit world that's called the church of the firstborn of God in heaven. Janet Lee at the organ.
Thank you, thank you, thank you, Janet. And I just wonder how many people can hear the song within the songs as I do. There's a song, there, there's a melody there that is spirit. And uh, it's, it's, it's quite, quite awesome. So going on with this thing about the spirit, um, you know, um, people sometimes just don't get into the relevancy of what the spirit is about. But in, in Hebrews 11.28 KJV, the Bible says, through faith, faith is the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things hoped for. This thing that cannot be seen, called faith, um, is a substance. It might be called a vapor. It, it's a substance of spirit. Faith is the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things hoped for. Now, in Colossians 1.24, it says, In my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. We see that the body of Christ, which is the bride, is the church. But that is that is the body of Christ because Christ and the church become one. And that's, that's quite beautiful when we start thinking about the firstborn in heaven and these things that I just previously said. And then Romans eleven sixteen says, For if the first fruits be holy, the lump, that's the body, is also holy. And if the root be holy, which is the, the body, so are the branches. And this all ties in then to the firstborn and ties into the first fruits. And it's so absolutely relevant, so absolutely important. Now, I shared with you, I think it was last week, John four twenty four, where it says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. If you don't get this scripture, if you don't nail it and cinch it, then you'll just go on not really knowing how to contact God in a spirit way. You'll just be talking to him from that, that mountain and the smoke and the fear and the dread. And eventually, if a person doesn't get caught on and they're just afraid, the same thing will happen to you that happened to the children of Israel. They'll say to Moses, we, just don't, we, we, we can't talk to, to that entity. We're, we're too afraid. We, we, don't, we don't know. It's like it's, we can't see that entity. Our, our eyes are just open to it. And you do the talking. And then you will lose your opportunity to have a direct meeting, a direct conversation. And the ultimate plan is not for there to just be one person because body ministry shows that regardless of what position 
or what part that we have in the body, that it's all a part of the body and that we are, the body is many members and that they're all relevant. The foot is just as important as the hand. They're all relevant. And if we are to worship God, God being a spirit, we have to worship him in spirit and truth. And I want to share with you today how that, that works. So um, John 8, 32 said, uh, you shall, you shall um, know the Holy Ghost. John 14, 70 said, the spirit of truth, the comforter, is the spirit of truth. The comforter is the spirit of truth. John 15, 26. John 14, 17, the spirit of truth, the Holy Ghost. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth has come. So we see that the spirit of truth Truth then has got the knowledge, the information, the word, the insight. This is how we're going to know about worshiping God in the spirit and understanding that they that worship him must, must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so when we think about the experiences that the children of Israel had, and I I shared this with you before. We want to do it again. How that uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 1, I would not have you ignorant how that our fathers were under the, the cloud and passed through the sea. If they hadn't been under the cloud, they'd never passed through the Red Sea because it was the cloud that had everything to do with them being able to pass through the Red Sea. But something was happening to them that they were not even aware of. As they passed through that, the froth in the waters of the Red Sea, they were baptized to Moses in the cloud. And so in the sea experience, they did eat the same spiritual meat, drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Wow. Wow. So check out Exodus 17, 6. Matthew 26, 26. Numbers 20, 11. Psalms 78, 15. These things are so beautiful. So beautiful. So we begin to understand that this calling that we have as we preached it and ministered it was given us before the world began. 1 Timothy 1.9 and also 1 Corinthians 2.7 Which wisdom God ordained to our glory before the world began. 1 Timothy 6.16 No man hath seen God. You have to understand when you get into this thing about the, the Jesus Christ and his flesh that these people that knew about 
Jesus Christ very vividly, also understand that no man hath seen or can see God. And that they are understanding that there is an, a relevancy of the idea of the Most High God that is somehow different than Jesus Christ wearing a body of Abraham. And Jesus saying very clearly, my father is greater than I. First Timothy 4.22, the Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. I know we need physical things, physical healings, physical substance. But I think there's a great neglect out there and people are neglecting the physical but they are also neglecting the spiritual and how that there is a substance that is invisible that they need and how that there are things even in the physical that they do not see because the Bible says that Levi was in Abraham bosom in his loins and while he was not yet born, while he had not yet had the embryonic experience, he paid tithes to Melchizedek in the loins of Abraham. So we begin to understand that there's a lot that's going on before a person is even born, but that they are involved in because their spirit is alive. And that when we do end up getting this body, we end up getting a body that the Bible says the sentence of death is written in us. So when Joseph took his father's uh, bones to the promised land, and then Moses took Joseph's bones to the, to the promised land, there was a double happening there. Because even though Joseph was not yet dead, in Jacob's bones was a relevancy of, of, of the ministry of Jacob and the ministry of Joseph. And so these things that are happening in the spirit world are real and relevant and they're going on Sometimes for a long period of time before we even have, have a body that bears the name and then after that body ceases, continues on doing spirit work. So the seals have to be opened. We know and I read to you last week how that Job 9-7, God sealeth up the stars. Job 33, 14 through 16, dreams are sealed. Instructions are sealed. Job 37, 7, he sealeth up the hand of every man. How could Job know so much about this? How could he write something like Job 38, the morning stars? Well, we're going to get into that if we have the time. I wasn't actually planning on getting into the Job thing until maybe a a couple more teachings up the road, 
But I got a letter from a follower, a friend, and he was asking me questions about Job. And so I, I thought, well, you know, it must be meant that we're to talk about that. So, Lord willing, we will get into some of these things with the ancient and the invisible truth that is sealed and can only be made known by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, it is said in John 14, 26, but that by the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost can teach us all things and bring it to our remembrance. And how that God has sealed the hand of every man, which has to do with the birth the birthright. And we, we have a right to know about the birthright. And how that in John 1, 9, the light of the kingdom of God is born in every person that comes into life and as a human being. Now, I want to teach you and show you something utterly amazing as we're still into the spirit thing. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I want to show you some things how that people have so misunderstood. Verse 1, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Now, prophecy is a, is a, a really big word. It's a lot bigger than what people think. It's not just about predictions. There's exaltations involved in that. Preposition, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue. What does that have to do with the scripture I just read? Let's read it again. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. Okay, we understand that. Charity, we can call that love. And desire spiritual gifts. But rather that you may prophesy. Now what does it mean, be prophesy? Well, evidently, it means what it is saying in, in verse 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men. That's evidently what it's talking about. You are to desire that you may prophesy. You may prophesy, pardon me. Now, people don't read it that way. They think that this means either the gift of interpretation of, of the unknown language of the Holy Ghost, or it means prophesying in the native language that you are living in. And I'm not saying that some of those things are not incorporated on the 30 and 60-fold levels. But the real big point that's being made here in verse 2 is, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. So people say, oh, gee, you know, what a mistake that'd be to be speaking to God. You know, we're supposed to be speaking to the congregation. Oh, yeah, when I get up to preach, I want to talk to the congregation. I don't want to be talking to God. And that's how stupid it sounds. And that's how stupid that it is. And I have heard ministry say those very things in their own way of saying it. Oh, yeah, you don't want to go speak in an unknown tongue. You know, because, but unto God, for no man understandeth him Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now I want you to get this. I want you to lay this onto your brain. When you are speaking in the unknown tongue, 
you are speaking to God by the Spirit. And then some of you people say, I don't know how to speak to God. Well, do you have the Holy Ghost? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit since you believed? If you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can talk to God in the Spirit. And that provision has been made and laid out here in the Bible. And the Bible says, you know, it's great to have spiritual gifts. It's even great to have gifts that are about love. But you have to have a relationship with God. You should pray that you, you should rather that you prophesy. And, and there's, there's two methods of this prophecy that have to do with exaltation. One that ex exalts the things of, of the spirit in a physical way to, to human beings. And the other that exalts something else that we'll talk about as you speak to God. It exalts God, but it also exalts the person that is able to speak to God. So you can speak to God in an unknown tongue. And you're not speaking unto men when you do that. It is not about a message to be preached at the church. It's about a special place, a special experience where you speak in unknown tongues and you are talking unto God and no man can understand that. There's no one because you have a fingerprint on that. That particular Holy Spirit has a designate in you a special kingdom of God key that allows you to speak in this unknown tongue and it cannot be ciphered it's not decipherable it cannot be the code cannot be broken it's a message between you and God and you are speaking to God well is that anything that is profound you better believe it for no man understandeth them. Yes, that's right. And that's the way we want it. How be it in the spirit, in the spirit, in the spirit. Now, what did we say earlier? Let's get this. Let's get this. John 4, 24, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must, M-U-S-T, must worship him in spirit and truth. You want to worship God? You've got to worship him in spirit and truth. You worship him in spirit and truth, you need to talk to God. And you don't know how to talk to God. Very likely at this point. Even after years of being a Christian. Because you've never been taught. But the Bible is very clear here. And it says, how be it in the spirit you're speaking mysteries. Can you imagine being able to have that kind of power? Because, ladies and gentlemen, come on. This endows upon you the fact that the angel of your presence, your spirit, existed before the foundations of this world. And those things belong to your glory. But how is this glory ever going to get to become part of, of your relevancy and going to help you become endowed and imbued in overcoming? 
Well, you're going to have to practice speaking in unknown tongues. In a private place, in a private way, you won't understand what's being said. You don't need to understand it. Your spirit does, though. Your spirit knows what's being said. But no man, no flesh. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So you can't take flesh and blood and think that you're going to talk some incredible, wonderful revelation to God and say, no, I'm speaking. I've got some really neat words. I'm, you know, I'm a little bit poetic, too. And, and I'm speaking that God sure does like to hear what I have to say because I've got a really neat way of saying it. That's a bunch of malarkey. God doesn't, God doesn't speak like man. The Bible says about Jesus that no man ever spake like him. And when you think you're being smart, when you talk to God the way you talk, you know, you know, I, I mean, God does hear people through all of that, that messy humanness. But he doesn't hear them like when people are talking by their spirit because that spirit is the, is the angel of the presence world. And you begin to speak in mysteries, mysteries about long, long ago, who you were, why you are here, and many of the experiences of your relationship with God through the universes that were. Now, on the other kind of prophecy, yes, verse 3, you speak unto men to edification and exhortation. So prophecy can be edification to edify, and it can be exhortation, and it can be to men. But in verse 4, he that speaketh to an unknown, that speaketh in an unknown tongue, edifieth himself. Now, I have heard preachers basically say, now you see how awful that is? You see, you don't use the gifts right. And you don't speak where people can understand you. And you know what, what eventually comes? Eventually it says, you know, we don't even need the speaking in tongues in the churches. We don't need that. Well, you don't need the unknown tongues in there. That's for sure, because that's a special thing. And that's why it's called unknown. But there is something incredibly awesome. <coughs> Incredibly awesome. Hear me now. He's, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. See, this is what is missing. Your spirit needs to be edified. And because you're not speaking in unknown tongues, then you're not speaking spirit to spirit to God. You're just speaking flesh to God from your flesh to God, but not from your spirit who is the real creature, the real creation, the real part of the firstborn of heaven. And when you do that, you edify your spirit. But if you don't do it that way, then you are edifying the physical body, which is the physical church. And, and there's... Relevancy and there's potency and advantages to an extent because this ministry is a duality. 
you got to take care of the down wave, but you also got to be able to be on, on the top of the mountain with the up wave. I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret. <clears throat> now this is not talking about unknown tongues. This is talking about people that are prof that are interpreting the tongues of men. <clears throat> and at the day of Pentecost, <clears throat> they heard people speaking in tongues and they said, well, what's going on there? Why we hear people speaking in Greek and we hear people speaking in other native languages all over the world. And yet these people were able to interpret that by the Holy Ghost. But those weren't unknown tongues. Those were tongues that was not able to be understood by them because they didn't speak those, those languages. But at one time, before Babel, the Bible says the people of the earth all understood one another. And then because of what happened at Babel, there was a causation that made it so people could not speak the same, did not speak the same languages anymore. And there are teachings on that. And so on that level, what it is saying, if you get a message in tongues, it's not talking about unknown tongues. Not in that sense. A language of Greek or a language of French may be unknown to an Englishman or some other comparative. But not in the sense of the unknown tongues in which you speak to God mysteries. Different story. And if you go in and you get up there and just start speaking in some other tongue, Chinese or Spanish, or maybe you'll go back and speak some ancient language that's been lost. Well, unless you've got somebody in that church that has the gift of interpretation and can interpret that, then that's not a great thing to do. That's a failure. So the person that makes sure that there is a person that can interpret it is greater than someone that doesn't make sure of that. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall it profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? And... That's a whole big teaching. I don't have time for going into all that. But there are, in the Soundtron, there is an incredible revelation of the different kinds of tongues. And the Bible even speaks of the tongues of angels. 
So a person could possibly be interpreting the tongues of angels if the translator that could translate angel tongues were there. And that doesn't necessarily have to be just by the spirit because the angels take on physical bodies and speak a physical language as well as having spirits that speak a spirit language. But there are things without life that give sound, whether pipe or harped, and except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? So there are dedications and purposes for even metallic things that have been made instruments of sound. Now let's skip down to verse 14. We're in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, it's along the line of what Paul meant. When Paul said, I went up to paradise and I heard things that were not lawful to be uttered. The things that are, the, are in the spirit, to the, from angel to angel, from spirit to spirit, are not lawful to be shared in the, in, in the flesh world. And you have to understand that when you pray in an unknown tongue, that your flesh is not going to understand what you're saying. Your understanding is not going to produce fruit. Like if you say, well, I, was, I prayed for an hour in an unknown tongue. But, you know, I didn't get any understanding out of that at all. I, I just, it didn't mean nothing to me. I, I didn't know what, what was being said. That's right. That's exactly right. Because that message is not to the fleshly body. It's not lawful to be to the fleshly body. That is to the spirit, your spirit. It's a spirit message. And so you've got to come around and get to understand that. Otherwise, you don't understand the Bible and you don't understand the Holy Ghost. Sure, your understanding will be unfruitful and that's the way it was meant to be because that message is not to you. It is not to you and it says it right here. In verse 2, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men. And if you're a human and a man or a woman, woe man, then it's not speaking to you. And of course it's unfruitful. Of course you're not to understand it. What's the answer then? Well, verse 15 gives it. What is it then? Here's the solution. I will pray with the understanding. That's in the language, in the human language. And I will pray with, I, and I will pray with the understanding also, that means additional, I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. So, there is the Spirit language and there is the physical human language with this diversity of tongues. And the idea is that when you do this, it's spirit to spirit, and you build up your faith, your belief, and your knowledge by edifying yourself. 
And if you want to edify your spirit and advance it, then you need to be having this Holy Ghost experience where you are in a private place speaking in unknown tongues Blessed be the name of God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is so important and so awesome. Now, exactly where does that where does that bring us to? Well, he brings us into a pretty spiritual place. It brings us to a deep place. Now, there are so many things. We've talked in the past about the, the uh, Sinadeki, or as I like to say it, the Sinadeki, which refers to a part of something that refers to the whole of something that is not presented but you have the word, for instance, like the conjunction and. And within the context of that and are all kinds of things. Well, that's very relevant to this thing when you're speaking about the Holy Ghost in an unknown language. You're, you're, you're big time into a super sinadaki. Or sinadaki. Now, there are very interesting things. And one of the really interesting things is a subject that we've been on about Petra and Sila, the rock city. Because I read you this thing in, in Hebrews about this city that was a mountain. Well, there is a name and it's a, a name that I've never heard any preacher ever mention it. But um, it's called Bama, B-A-M-I-A-H, B-A-M-A-H, Bama, the ba um Ah, bum, ah. Ezekiel twenty twenty nine, And Ezekiel 20, 29 says, Then I said, this is God, unto them, What is the whereunto that you go? And, there's a Senedeki, the name thereof is called Ba'er, unto this day. So there is this unusual name, B-A-M-A-H. The last two letters, A-H, stand for an abbreviation of Yah, like Yahweh or Yahweh-El. So it has the name of God in it. And the word itself means a high place. 
So this Ba'ah was a place where wise men met. And these wise men were wise men like the woman, like Queen of Sheba, like it talks about in the book of Matthew of the three wise men that came looking for Jesus Christ. But they used to meet at this Ba'ah, the Ba'ah, B-A-M-A-H. And there was what the Bible describes in First Chronicles twenty-one twenty-nine, a tabernacle of the Lord that was mobile. And it also included the Ark of the Covenant, which Moses had made in the wilderness. And the altar for burnt offering was also included. And that was all mobile. But it was made in the wilderness. And there is a scripture that says in Proverbs 22, 21, and remember Proverbs was by Solomon who was given the, the gift of the spirit of wisdom. And it says, A wise man scaleth the city of the mighty, the high place. Now when you look up that word scaleth in Obadiah 1.8, and that comes from the Hebrew 5927, scaleth, is very interesting. It means to mount up. It means the upper, the top. It means to be carried away, to exalt, to honor, to be carried up, to be perfected, to rise up. Vapor, meaning like spirit. In Numbers 23, 9, it says, For from the top of the rock, the mount, the city, I see him. So this, a wise man scale, it's talking about these wise men that came to this place. But it's also talking about how that some people say, well, they believe that this high place was, was Gibeon. Well, when this tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses made, was moved from place to place and taken to other high points, then for a, a season, the Bible says, it could, it could stand for being that high place. But there was basically two places for the two covenants. One was Mount Selah, the rock place, the rock city, and the other was Mount Hermon. And so when it says, I said unto them, what is thee? You have a definite article. And this Bama'ah was a meeting place at Selah. And Job was involved at that time and next week I want to get into Job and I want to show you how that Job knew about things in the revealed 
of the mighty rushing winds of the Holy Spirit about the morning stars and that being all part of the revelation of the firstborn blessing and how that there was this place but then later it talks about that then it would be changed so that that place of meeting would be changed to Mount Hermon which was the other place of this bum ah. A wise man scaleth the city of the mighty, the high place. He mounts up. They that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. Wow. That's just a little touch about the two Zions. Deuteronomy 4.48 which says Zion is also called Hermon. And Romans 9.33 I lay in Zion a stumbling stone. And Hebrews 12.22 come unto Mount Zion. And Revelations 14.1 a lamb stood stood on Mount Zion. Yes stood and told Moses, come up. Wow. So, ladies and gentlemen, as I begin to bring this to a close, because I've run out of time, next week we will finish more about the spiritual aspect, the spiritual factors, and we'll get into Job and the Bible connection to Job with this spiritual new name I've been revealing to you. And then one day in the future, I don't know when, I plan to have a Holy Ghost meeting. And you people out there that have never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I'll invite you to find a private quiet place and allow you in this special meeting God willing to be anointed by me over the over my speaker and to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you've never received it so you can have that experience of the Holy Ghost and the unknown tongues May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord heal you because he loves you so much. God bless you.